Hurry up, your favorite show's about to start. Grab a Capri Sun, some Dunkaroos, and settle in for another episode of The Millennial Movie Club. Welcome back to the Millennial Movie Club podcast. I'm Jazz Zapatos, and my favorite childhood cereal was Captain Crunch. I'm Dan Levine, and my favorite childhood cereal was Cocoa Puffs, but my mom also didn't let me have those or any chocolatey cereal. <laughs> it's becoming a theme. Yeah, it's like a therapy session. <laughs> So today we're going to talk about Jurassic Park, movie 1993. It was the highest grossing movie of all time before Titanic. It's considered a masterpiece in cinematography and also in animatronics and CGI. I mean, it kind of just changed the game for action movies forever. Yeah. And it's scary. It is really scary. This was my first time ever watching this movie top to tail, if you will. And (laughs) (laughs) you know what? I felt like a kid again. I felt like it too. It must have been like the 10th time I've watched it. I had a like, do you ever watch a scary movie or an action movie and you feel like you have to like plug your ears because you just know like something's (laughs) going to jump out and fuck you up? Is that just me? (laughs) I I just kind of go like curl myself up into a ball, but also so psyched (laughs) about it. Yeah, a little hug. Nothing wrong with a little hug. (laughs) So let's set the scene for you. In Steven Spielberg's massive blockbuster, Paleontologists Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler and mathematician Ian Malcolm are among a selected group chosen to tour an island theme park populated by dinosaurs created from prehistoric DNA. While the park's mastermind, billionaire John Hammond, assures everyone that the facility is safe, they find out otherwise when various ferocious predators break free and go on the hunt. I got goosebumps already just listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) Very succinct. It's exactly what happens. It's exactly what happens. That park is not safe. Spoiler alert. It's not super safe. Here's our weekly spoiler warning. Once again, if you have never seen Jurassic Park, which I'm not going to scold you for because I had never watched the whole thing either, don't listen to this episode. Go watch it and come back. Go watch it. Everything holds up. It's great. Go watch it is the tagline for this episode. (laughs) So in terms of our team here, we are directed by Steven Spielberg, who, of course, directed other masterpieces such as E.T., Saving Private Ryan, a million other things, and most recently, the remake of West Side Story. It's written by the late Michael Crichton, who wrote the novel initially, and he worked on the rest of the series. He also wrote Twister and Westworld, the original and the current show on HBO. (sighs) which seems like two different lifetimes. Yeah, really. It's such a legend. Daniel, you'll be happy to know that this movie has a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. I checked. Yeah, I was so happy. I I was ready for another uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Let's talk a little bit about the cast, which is stacked, by the way. It's crazy how many people are in this movie. It's like star after star. I will say like 90% of them are white dudes with like Samuel L. Jackson and Laura Dern. And that's it. But those are (laughs) probably the best ones. So Correct. Dr. Alan Grant, we have played by Sam Neill, also known for work in Bicentennial Man, Hunt for the Wilder People, Thor Ragnarok, and series like The Tudors and Peaky Blinders. He also has done some voiceover for Rick and Morty, which we love to hear. Whoa, I didn't know that. How fun is that? Dr. Ellie Sattler is played by the one and only... Laura Dern, who is a super babe in this film. Yeah, another one that was like a very seminal role for how I understood to be attracted to women. <laughs> it is like therapy. It's great. Laura Dern, we also know from movies like October Sky, I Am Sam, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and Little Women. And of course, she absolutely crushes it in HBO's Big Little Lies. Who could forget the whole sex appeal of this movie is brought by Jeff Goldblum in the role of mathematician Ian Malcolm who we know from The Fly, Independence Day, The Life Aquatic, also in Thor Ragnarok with Sam Neill. A little crossover there. A little fun fact, too. Jeff Goldblum and Laura Dern got engaged after this movie. What? Yeah. No They didn't end up getting married, but yeah, they got engaged. Oh, my God, which makes sense because the sexual tension is palpable in this movie. It's crazy. And I'm like... Isn't she like married to the other guy? He's like fiddling with her earlobe. He's all over her. Anyway, (laughs) billionaire John Hammond played by legendary actor and director Richard Attenborough, whose career spanned from the 40s, you know, all the way through time. He played iconic roles such as Santa Claus in Miracle on 34th Street and also directed the movie Gandhi, which won two Academy Awards for Best Film and Best Director, a.k.a. him. And he beat. 
Steven Spielberg for those things. No way. And then the next year, Steven Spielberg got him out of retirement and he hadn't acted since like the 70s. To be in Jurassic Park? Yeah, to be in Jurassic Park as John Hammond. You almost imagine it's like some kind of revenge plot. You're like, we need to get this guy out of the directing game. (laughs) (laughs) Steven Spielberg's smart, very calculating. Next up, Ray Arnold, played by the legendary Samuel L. Jackson, who has probably my favorite catchphrase in this whole movie. We know him from Pulp Fiction. He's Nick Fury in the Marvel Universe, Jedi Master Mace Windu in the Star Wars franchise, and, you know, most importantly, Snakes on a Plane. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I, I thought you were going to lead off with that one. I say the best for last. (laughs) And then Wayne Knight, who we know from Space. Jam, Toy Story, but of course, mostly Newman from Seinfeld. And he is just a slimy piece of shit in this movie. Oh my God. There are some movies where you just know in the first half a second whether somebody's going to die. Yeah. (laughs) And within literally half a second, I was like, oh, he's not going to last through the end of this movie. He sucks. Um, So here's a segment that we like to call. What happened to the kids? In a good way. Yeah. Oh, in a good way. I mean, who knows, really? (laughs) Not like in a menacing way. Like not what happened to those kids. (laughs) We know where they are for the record. It's rhetorical. We're going to answer it for (laughs) you. We have two adorable yet slightly annoying children in this movie. Right. <laughs> Tim, who I like to call Tiny Tim, played by Joseph Mazzello, who started his career at the age of seven, even before Jurassic Park, and starred alongside Harrison Ford, Richard Donner, Anthony Hopkins, Meryl Streep, a real master class in acting partners. And then he went to school to study film. What an idiot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Started reappearing on some TV shows like Person of Interest, Elementary, and then actually he portrayed Queen's bassist, John Deacon, in the biopic Bohemian Rhapsody. Whoa, okay. Yeah, he's around. He's doing his thing. There he is. Yeah, there he is. There's that kid. (laughs) Next up, we have his sister, Lex Murphy, played by Ariana Richards. So played this part annoyed the shit out of me, mm-hmm. reprised the role briefly in the sequel, Lost World. He was also in, a, in episodes of TV like The Golden Girls and was also in an episode of Boy Meets World. She was also, which I find very interesting, in 1997, she was in the music video of the song Brick by Ben Folds 5, portraying a high school student having an abortion. Oh, so 90s. So, so awesome. 90s. Really brought me back. But in February of 2014, she was voted number 98 on VH1's 100 Greatest Child Stars. So Snuck in there. Good for her. Yeah, right, right, at the, right at the end. I mean, I do think that she was great. She just was really annoying. She was also just like zero survival instincts whatsoever. But she was great with computers. So, you know, she kind of saved the day there. Who turns on a flashlight? All right, I'm not going to get into the plot. <laughs> Before we get to the plot, I wanted to say that this movie grossed a billion dollars worldwide. Steven Spielberg made $250 million from this movie, which is the largest sum any individual has ever made from a movie. Whoa. He was doing pre-production for this movie called ER, based on Michael Crichton novel, when he heard about Jurassic Park. And then afterwards, he returned to ER and helped develop it into this hit television series. No way. James Cameron wanted to make the movie, but by a couple hours, he got beat out by the rights. And then when he saw the movie, he was like, actually, that was a good thing because I would have made it way too violent and not like a kid's movie. People call this a kid's movie and I say debatable. Yeah. But to think that it could have been way gory or more gruesome. Could have been alien. Could have so. been alien. Ooh, yes. Yeah. It does have like a weird family feel, even though people are getting torn apart by dinosaurs. I think it, it is very scary, but it, mostly it's kind of like a sense of awe and wonderment. You know, they could make this movie really dark. So just getting it out of the way, I think that every sequel to this movie is dog shit. I know that some people <laughs> like like a lot of these movies. I just can't stand them. And I just don't think that they got like the tone of any of the movies like they right. did this one. As someone who had not watched all the way through, but also grew up in Florida and spent a lot of time in Universal Studios and Islands of Adventure and all these places where there are Jurassic Park theme parks, realizing that the movie feels like the theme park that it is. You know, like it is a theme park in the movie. It's a theme park in real life now. But that is the kind of awe that it inspires like you feel excited like a kid walking into a scary theme park and i feel like that's why it feels like weirdly inviting and family friendly 
Agreed. This could be so foolish and silly, and it wasn't. It was really cool. There is nothing silly about it. You take it seriously from the beginning while also being magical and disgusting. I've pulled a few reviews for you, Daniel, that I think you're going to like better than last time. Okay, good. (laughs) Our first one from Steve Parcell of the Tampa Bay Times. We ask for two things from big budget thrillers like this. Make us believe and make us jump. Jurassic Park delivers on both counts. Let's go. Which I have to agree with. Yeah. Next up from Mr. Roger Ebert himself. It's clear seeing this long-awaited project that Spielberg devoted most of his effort to creating the dinosaurs. The human characters are a ragtag bunch of half-realized, sketched-in personalities who exist primarily to scream, utter dire warnings, and outwit the monsters. Because the movie delivers on the bottom line, I'm giving it three stars. You want great dinosaurs, you got great dinosaurs. Okay, I kind of get it a little bit. I do too. It's harsh, but he's not wrong. The reality is like a lot of the characters who gives a shit about them. (laughs) Some of them are kind of good, but- Like people were just getting gobbled up left and right and it would be like, all right, well. Yeah, I'm not too broken up about (laughs) it. And last but definitely not least, this Amazon review entitled, My Toddler Loves It. (laughs) (laughs) My toddler is obsessed with dinosaurs and accidentally ordered this on Amazon Prime. It is a little violent for his age, so my husband told him that when the dinosaurs eat people, that they are kissing. (laughs) Why do people do this stuff? I think it's for podcasts like these. Oh, right. (laughs) Should we head into the plot? Should we start breaking it down? Absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. We've got an inspector who's asking questions. We've got dinosaurs being handled. Cut to the Badlands where we first meet our two paleontologists. And I just love one of the first lines Dr. Allen has is, I hate computers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm wondering in what scenario we would ever hear that line today or if it's just complete, (laughs) if that's a line that's extinct now as dinosaurs. Maybe it was super popular back then. Everyone was just going around. Can't wait till this blows over. And then they go to look at the computer and it's an old Panasonic TV with a piece of cardboard on top of it. It is. (laughs) (laughs) The the TV's so shitty or the computer's so shitty. But then the science behind it is so advanced. I couldn't believe that they had that back then. It's like, we can see the fossils without even digging. So I'm way behind. Like, I, I didn't even know we could do that today. Can we? I don't know. Well, this is also one of the coolest parts about this movie is Michael Crichton is just kind of a genius. Like, he's a good writer, but he's a scientist, really. A lot of the things that he theorized came to be reality. But it's really cool. Like, the whole plot of this movie is that you can get the DNA from dinosaurs from Amber. And he had to, like, figure that out. It was a novel idea. It wasn't, like, something that was getting, like, battered around. That sounds very plausible. Like, it's not some, like, science fiction, like, we just went to space and found an alien baby sucking blood out of prehistoric mosquitoes. Sounds like a really actually great idea. And I wonder, was anyone like, we should actually try that? Or were they like... Didn't we learn our lesson? Well, that is also the whole point of it. Like Michael Crichton wrote this book because of his concern for the rise of scientism and the exploration of biogenetics. He was like, we're doing too much shit. And then Mm. what people took from it is, whoa, we should totally create Jurassic Park. (laughs) Yeah. And then in 2005, they like found some preserved DNA or like maybe in the future we could do this. It's like, man, Michael Crichton, you kind of fucked up. Right. You probably should have just let sleeping dinosaurs lie. (laughs) Yeah, let it lie. Make a lot of dumb dinosaur <laughs> jokes today. Obviously, we haven't brought dinosaurs back, but like this weird computer program, do we have that? Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. Maybe they're still trying to make it because I'm pretty sure paleontologists still exist. So I think we just need to get Elon on the job. Right. Focus on what we've already got here on yeah, Earth. Yeah, dude. I don't care about Mars. I care about bringing back dinosaurs. We'll have to go to space anyway once we bring the dinosaurs back. Space is a wrap. Give us a reason to leave. I want us to take off in an, a spaceship at the last second before like the T-Rex gets us. Like, our fuel is like burning the, the T-Rex and then we shoot off into Mars. Right. And then we nuke the Earth. And we nuke the shit out of the Earth. <laughs> so if you're listening, Elon, and we know that you are, please make this happen. Thank you so much. Yeah. And if you could stop sliding into my DMs, like if you could just text us on the group <laughs> chat thread, it would make everybody more comfortable. And also like stop spoiling the wordle. Oh, does he do that? No, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So anyway, we meet our two paleontologists and Laura Dern is just looking so damn good in this full denim outfit with the folded up bucket hat. Like that's an outfit that I would like to replicate. And I do not want to replicate Dr. Grant's kerchief, his 
whole shtick. It's just not for me. So she's dressed like how a woman would probably actually dress doing the job that she's doing. And he's dressed like the cartoon version of his job. <laughs> oh, and also, like, do they ever confirm, like, are they dating? Are they married? Because they're talking about starting a family together. Oh, like, I don't know. Right off the bat, they're like, you can tell that. Because, of course, Laura Dern is a woman and this is a movie in the 90s that like half her life's work is dedicated to finding dinosaur bones and the other half is convincing somebody to procreate with her. Yes. And he's not having it. Him being convinced to like children in order to have children with Laura Dern is like a major theme in this movie. It's like woven throughout the entire thing. It's kind of the point. And not only that, the kids that convince him to have kids kind of suck. Right. <laughs> Right. The beginning of the movie should have been like, have kids with you <laughs> when dinosaurs roam the earth. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, and yeah. then lo and behold, he's dad material. <laughs> that's really what happens. So old white dude crashes the party, drops in on his helicopter and just like destroys the entire campsite that he's also funding. One thing that I figured out upon rewatching this, John Hammond screws up that campsite because he doesn't care about bones anymore. He's got living dinosaurs. <laughs> I did not consider that. I never thought about that either. But then that brings me to my next question. Then why is he funding it in the first place? He's got live dinosaurs. Right. My thought is that he's just trying to butter up these paleontologists so that he can get them to give him the green light so that he passes inspection for this park. I mean, it seems like a long con, but yeah, I'll buy that. Definitely. It seems like he has unlimited money. He's constantly like, I spared no expense. He has a gigantic team of researchers. He bought the island. He made it completely automated. Everything can work from one central room. And then he has a fatal flaw of not paying Newman enough money. Right, which is clearly where he spared the expense because you should have had a lot more than literally two other people working in your control room. Oh, also one of my favorite lines. So old white dude crashes the party. He is trying to lure these paleontologists away to check out his new exhibition. And he says to them something like, this attraction is going to blow children's minds. And Dr. Allen's like, what is that? And Laura Dern goes, small versions of adults, honey. <laughs> yeah, that was a great one. She has some great <laughs> lines in this movie. While she is barely focused on procreating, she's got some real good like spunky feminist lines in this. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Calling people out on sexist comments like she is a lead character to look up to in the 90s, which is not super common, I would say. Few and far between. Yeah, she really surprised me. So they agree to hop in the helicopter and head off. We also find out that Newman is being paid to steal dinosaur embryos because he's a piece of shit. He's got money troubles and we don't know why, but my assumption is that um, he's just a dipshit. Whatever he's got going on is just slimy and gross. And he ultimately meets a slimy and gross end. Yeah, that's true. I have to say, like, probably the moment where I really started to feel so nostalgic, the helicopter's zooming over about to land on Jurassic Park and that music kicks in, that iconic music. It's so good. And then preceded by my favorite part of the movie, which is, so Jeff Goldblum specializes in chaos theory. He's another one of these experts that he's bringing in. You know, the mathematician bad boy. Yeah, he is a mathematician bad boy. <laughs> and he is awesome at it. And then he's got that laugh in the plane that I, it's just one of my favorite parts of any movie ever. He's like, ha <laughs> ha <laughs> and it goes on for like four <laughs> seconds. He's just one of the most peculiar human beings on earth. And it's so funny watching him be like the ladies man of this movie. But he has a weird charisma. Yeah, he kind of hones in on you and like his spotlight is right on you. It's almost arresting, but also very charming. Right. But like he's going so fast that you barely get it. And then he's like on to the next thing. Take note, guys. Try not to do it like he did, like in front of her husband. <laughs> like <laughs> Or if you want to challenge, maybe do do that. Club her and take her. All right. I'm allowed to make that joke. Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to silently smile. He's a complete delight and a real bad boy. And they land in a waterfall. Here is something to me where like, I didn't already know this movie had come out in 1993. I would have known in this moment where they're entering the park and all of these heavy duty, super serious security guards slash park rangers are wearing flamingo pink polos with matching belts. 
which is like the most 90s thing I've ever seen. <laughs> or very like white lotus of them. It's not know? even like one of the park theme colors. They're getting kind of like led around in the Port Explorer. And you have this incredible shot of Sam Neill like looking at the Brachiosaurus. It still looks unbelievable. In doing way too much research for this podcast, I rewatched this like fascinating YouTube video about why Jurassic Park looks better then than it does now. And it all has to do with the framing and how the characters are looking at the thing that is fake. Like a lot of people think that it's because they used animatronics. So they're actually interacting with real things, which is mostly the case. But even when there is CGI, it's all because Steven Spielberg is just a master at framing in cinematography. It's a great scene. And that's a great acting moment. That one tear rolls down. Yes. (laughs) One tear. There is a part where Sam Neill, like, I guess he just had a moment where he was very overcome because he like turns around, he turns around and like has to like squat down and he truly looks like he's hiding something in his pants. Like he just <laughs> looks so, <laughs> it's a very weird position that he's in. Like he, you have to go back and watch it. I did it. not he's get like that. He's like half crouched. Like he's, it was, a, it was a strange physical choice. Or maybe it was a very deliberate choice. I mean, he is like as excited as he's ever been. Right. Totally. All the concepts and all the hypotheticals that he's created over the course of his career are now like playing out in front of him. Super exciting. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Crescendo music. <laughs> Like, that's a terrible <laughs> dinosaur noise. I was trying to fill in the rest of the sounds. I thought it was great. Uh, <laughs> that might be better. I loved that sound. Listen, I'm probably closer because as we learned shortly after, all of the dinosaurs in the park are female so that they don't breed, which for one sounds like a park. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a park I want to go to. Wait, what just happened there? Did you were you trying to figure out whether you actually? I was considering the alternative. <laughs> okay, okay. First of all, they go on this ride. It's like it has a whole explainer video presentation. Which again, as a kid who grew up going to Disney and Universal a lot, this little ride explainer video is spot on to what you would have seen in the park yeah, in the nineties. Very it, much. It so. feels like kind of like Schoolhouse Rock. Like all that's really missing is a song. Like they really should have some kind of Jurassic Park song. You know, you should be on it. This is all you. Right. D is for dinosaur. You know, like something school rocky kind of Downey. <laughs> so instead of explaining this like incredibly complex process of cloning, you're just like how to spell dinosaurs. S is for stegosaurus. And they just do and they name all of them. That's all kids care about. I love it. Yeah. They break out of the ride early and I was kind of mad. I was like, I really want to see how the rest of this ride works. Me too. But we do get a really amazing scene because they're going past a room where all these scientists are doing this work. And they're like, oh, are those actors? Like, no, those are the real scientists. So that means any kid could hop out and just go pop into the lab? That's what I was thinking. What if you're just like fucking off at work? It's like every 10 seconds this ride is going to come by and you have to kind of like wave to these people. Right. That could be very distracting during, I would assume, is a very intense process of cloning and hatching dinosaurs. They don't seem to be miffed about it at all. The scientists are not currently miffed because this is the first time people are coming through on the ride. But cut to like a month later where day after day, like 17 times a day, it's like a bunch of fat people from Florida sunburned, (laughs) slurping down their giant dino slurpee, like yelling at you through the glass, like show us a dinosaur while you're trying to literally make history. Right. You're like, I'm a respected scientist. I'm really sorry. I'm like fucking with God right now. I can't really talk to you about this shit. Yes, yes. There's no unauthorized breeding in Jurassic Park. Right, because there's a chromosome that they deny them of at a crucial moment. And Jeff Goldblum, this just like sets off alarms for him. And then he has maybe the best line, which is, you know, life finds a way, which is the whole point of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Another line he says that I loved was, your scientists are so consumed with whether or not they could, but not whether or not they should. I love that line. Uh, what I read was that Michael Crichton fancied himself Ian Malcolm. Shocker. Right. He's supposed to be Ian Malcolm. He's supposed to be the one who is against all this. 
and is trying to say like, don't fuck around with this stuff. You're overstepping. I wonder what it feels like to like write yourself into a story. You're like, you know, a guy that's like writing yourself in to be kind of a hunky character. You know, you're like, so Brad Pitt for this one? Or they're like, actually, we were thinking a way weirder, dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, it's yes, painful. dinosaurs, yes. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum's spot on. (laughs) He's the only one sort of seeing straight while everyone's blood has rushed from their brain to their bonersaurus (laughs) rest. I would say the fact that he brings these paleontologists and these scientists to clear this park for safety, it's a good idea. What's not a good idea is having your grandchildren show up before they've done that. I have no idea what he was thinking. What are their parents thinking? Do they have parents? We don't hear about them at all. And I just remember thinking like, we're going to drop you off at Pappy's Dinosaur Park for the day. Also, there's a (laughs) tropical storm coming, which like they didn't know about until 10 minutes before it arrived, which also seems highly unlikely. So yeah, these fucking kids show up to this uninspected park. Lex, who is super annoying, self-proclaimed hacker, and Tiny Tim, who is also obsessed with dinosaurs and has read Alan's book. And I just have to say right off the bat that these kids are weirdly comfortable with these adults after just meeting them. They're literally like cuddling up to Alan, holding his hand. Like that is like the complete opposite of the stranger danger we were taught. And he's like trying to shake them off and they're like cuddling him when they first meet him. Yeah. We've already established that these parents aren't that great. Maybe they're starved for a love. Yeah, I think so. But maybe I, I think him pushing them away made them come a little bit closer. Well, I think Lex says something like that Laura Dern tells her to go be in his car because again, yes. even though they are witnessing dinosaurs in real life, she's still pushing her agenda to get him to like children. Right. It's like, yeah, she said it would be good for you. This is cute, but also, God, I think we should on, focus guys. on the mission at hand. <laughs> yeah. We've got bigger fish to fry here. If these dinosaurs can <laughs> procreate without a man, so can you, Laura Dern. <laughs> Wow, nice. So yeah, we're setting off in these cars and literally as soon as this ride takes off, you're like, mm, nope, this is going to go badly. First things first, what ride have you ever been on that you can hop out of? And they're just like, I told you we should have added locks on the car doors. And it's like, are you kidding me? That was another thing I wrote down. I can't believe that's not the first thing. The first thing they thought of. One, dinosaurs. Two, locks on the doors. <laughs> Right, like when they're thinking, like you know, you know, there's amber, you know, and they can trap these DNAs, like yeah, but and and locks on the doors and locks on the doors that aren't all controlled by one password that only one person knows, <laughs> and that person's a dick. Yeah, yeah, like a clearly rebellious neckbeard is going to have this unlocked. And then we get to hear Samuel L. Jackson's catchphrase in this movie. Who Samuel L. Jackson is known for having some pretty iconic catchphrases in all of his movies. And on what planet did he decide? Well, he probably didn't decide it, but he certainly went along with the fact that his catchphrase is, hold on to your butts. As soon as I heard it this time, I just smiled and smiled. That's so funny. Sounds like somebody made a parody of Jurassic Park and took his original line and turned it into hold on to your butts. Yeah, I think it was like, all right, everyone, hold on to your fucking ass. And then they were like, we can't do that. Hold on to your goddamn buttholes. And they're like, Sam, reel it in. This is... (laughs) Still a family movie. It's like, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. All right, take two. Everybody take your dicks out of your hands. It's dinosaur time, (laughs) motherfuckers. Samuel, if we could just try it again, just like a little bit more family friendly. Stay right on. It's right there. Right, right. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) You're really close. Let's just keep trying. (laughs) Okay, action. Everybody take off your clothes. Let's fuck some dinosaurs. (laughs) All right, why don't we just come back after lunch? Right. They landed on hold on to your butts, which I guess now, once we put it like this, is probably the best case scenario. Yeah, yeah. now that we've uh, exhausted those options, I feel like we, we did the right thing. <laughs> Could always be worse. So everybody's holding onto their butts. They're in these driverless cars going through the parks, and they're not seeing any dinosaurs. So everybody's kind of bummed out. Of course, like another great feminist line by Laura Dern. Yeah. So Ian Malcolm is like, God creates dinosaurs. God kills dinosaurs. God creates man. Man kills God. Man brings back dinosaurs. And then Laura Dern says, Dinosaurs eat man. Women inherit the earth. So good. That's one of the best. And then we're getting a lot of sexual tension between Jeff and Laura. (laughs) He is laying it on 
thick right in front of Dr. Grant. And Alan doesn't even seem to care. Like he's just too, he's very preoccupied obviously with the dinosaurs, but like Laura Dern's kind of eating it up. She is loving it enough to get engaged. Once a girl starts giggling, it's all over. That's a wrap. If you can make us laugh. And you look like Jeff Goldblum. When you have a perm and a leather jacket and you're just talking that fast. like Scrambles your brains. She probably came out of that movie being like, Wait, how did I get engaged? Like, just, <laughs> yeah, she just, just wakes up two years later. Yes, yes, yes. We'll get married. It'll be fast. Brr, yes, yes. <laughs> you will be my wife, my dinosaur bride. Yes. <laughs> I've oh. never tried to do a Jeff Goldblum impression before today. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad at all. Not the best, but it's on the right track. When we do the fly next, you'll be way better. <laughs> oh, right. So they get out of the car because they're sick of not seeing anything. They find this Triceratops, which is really sick. This part is so cool looking because it's an animatronic Triceratops. They get to go up and really interact with it. It looks amazing. Laura Dern's character is immediately goes into investigation mode about what it could be that is making this dinosaur sick. In the movie, we don't really know why the Triceratops is sick, but in the book, the Triceratops didn't have suitable teeth for grinding the food. So it would be like birds. They would swallow rocks and use them as gizzard stones. In the digestive tract, these rocks would grind the food to aid in digestion. And after six weeks, the rocks would become too smooth to be useful and the animal would regurgitate them. When finding and eating new rocks to use, the animal would also swallow West Indian lilac berries, which is the thing that is uh, poisonous. And so the fact that the berries and stones are regurgitated explains why Ellie never finds traces of them in the animal's excrement. So like that's the level of detail that we're dealing with with this dude. That is really deep. I guess why go into the sick dinosaur at all if you're just gonna be like here's a sick dinosaur but we're not gonna get into the details of really why it's sick <laughs> i think they did it to show that gigantic pile of shit right which for the record we see the size of the dinosaur in comparison to the humans and what i don't understand is why that pile of shit is way bigger than the dinosaur it's taller than the dinosaur i would just say like steven get it together and this is the last time everything is okay because the storm starts coming in. The group separates. Laura Dern decides to stay with the shit. The storm is moving in fast. Newman is just fucking everything up. While he's trying to escape with these embryos, he like fucks up the entire park's security system, which seems a little too simple. His glasses are all fogged up. He doesn't know where he's going. He like kind of crashed his car. And then he sees this like dinosaur coming up to him. He's very curious. First, he falls down a little waterfall. He's just like ass up this whole time. He's such a clown. And so then what happens is this, I'm going to mispronounce this, Dilaposaurus spits this black shit into his eyes that blinds him and is going to paralyze him. Tries to get back in the car. It's there and it just destroys the sky. Absolutely tears him apart. We cut back to our heroes. They're stopped in the car. And of course, like nobody who works in this fucking park knows how to do anything because Newman had the only passwords. We see the very famous trope. I would say like the visual version of the Jaws, like dun it. Dunna, dunna, which is every time a dinosaur is coming, we see some kind of container of water start to shake. Such an iconic scene. And this is very cool. So they were trying to figure out how to properly communicate how big these things are without showing it. Steven Spielberg was listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire in his car, and the bass effects were vibrating his mirror. And that's when he realized that he wanted to vibrate the water. But that was the easy part, because then no one could figure out how to make these cups react that way. So what happened was the sound producer, I guess, put a glass of water on a guitar, and when he plucked the strings, that made the effect. So for the scene, they fed guitar strings under the dashboard of the car, to get the effect. And then a man underneath it plucked the strings. That is some movie magic right there. For real. I yeah. love how imaginative that is. It's so cool and it's so basic. Now they would never go to those extremes to create an effect. They would just do it in post, yeah. I hate computers. <laughs> I hate computers. <laughs> there it is in the wild. <laughs> and so then we get the first scene with the Tyrannosaurus Rex. 
the way Steven Spielberg did it is there's like a general rule that if you see a part of the dinosaur, that's probably animatronic. When you see the full dinosaur, that is CGI. And what he does really well is he cuts between those two. And the effect is just so freaking cool. And it sounds insane. I think that that was one of the things that I took away most from this watch of it was how incredible the sound was. Because something I never thought about was they don't have any access to the composition of vocal cords of dinosaurs. They have no idea what they sound like. Right. So they need to create these sounds from just the scariest sounds they could think of while being believable that it is coming out of this body. So the Tyrannosaurus roar was a dog, a penguin, a tiger, an alligator, and an elephant. (gasps) Holy shit. That never occurred to me that like this sound does not exist now so you would have to create it me neither so in reality we really don't know what they sounded like we have no idea yeah we think it sounds like a dog a penguin a tiger an alligator an elephant a big scary roar but in reality could have been like whoa yeah (laughs) hey hey (laughs) (laughs) that could be just as accurate as what we we have just designed this sound. I mean, I also have not done any homework around this. So if anybody knows who's listening, knows where we assumed this dinosaur sound came from, let us know. Yeah, please. The raptors are dolphins, a walrus, and geese. Ew, that makes sense. I hate them. And the brachiosaurus is a, a whale and slow down donkey sounds. Slow down donkey sounds. <laughs> slow down donkey sounds. The EP Our middle school band. drops. I mean, to me, one of the scariest aspects of this, not only do they do a really good job at creating the dinosaurs and the sounds, but there are so many little moments in this where you realize the level intelligence that you're dealing with. Yeah. So they're systematically testing for weaknesses in the fence and they are figuring out how to open doors and shit. They make a joke. They're like, well, unless they learned how to open a door, cut to them learning how to open a door. I love that there are moments of levity in this. It needs it or it would just be a monster movie. Agreed. So there's a lot of business going on here. The dinosaur is like, it can only see movement. So everyone's remaining perfectly still. Except Lex, the little girl, such a fucking nuisance, just screaming and shit, turning on flashlights. I don't know why you would take that flashlight out. Man, she's just really not helpful in this scenario. Her little brother is just like, what are you doing? I just don't understand what the benefit is either. It's like, oh, I can't see it well enough. We're hiding from a dinosaur. In the dark. Yeah, exactly. And then, so this is Dr. Grant's first shot at being like an adult too. He takes the flare and he guides the Tyrannosaurus and then he throws the flare into the pen. The Tyrannosaurus starts to follow the flare. Then Jeff Goldblum fucks it up again by taking another flare. Why does he take out a second flare? And is like, no, 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 I'll let it chase me now. Like he just needed to be- The hero. Like the more macho version. I think that's a good- In case Laura Dern was watching on the cameras or something. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. He's like, no, 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 no. I got it. Yeah. And then there's like this mysterious case where, you know, the dinosaur finds the lawyer on the toilet and immediately eats him. You have to love a good toilet death. So great. And then the dinosaur chases Jeff Goldblum. What I don't understand is how- Jeff Goldblum ends up in the rubble of the destroyed restroom and has created a tourniquet for himself. So obviously he sustained some damage to his leg. But like if that was truly from the dinosaur, like the dinosaurs don't leave you wounded. Like there's no way in which he got attacked by this dinosaur and escaped. So there's really zero explanation on how he gets hurt. But he's basically like kind of out for the rest of the movie. Yes. Yeah. I don't really know what happened, but I also don't really care. Yeah. They like set him up as such a main character and then just kind of like immediately weed him out and make him a very secondary character for the rest of the film. I think that's probably a good thing. There's a lot of stuff you need to start like trying to keep track of in your head. They kind of escape the Tyrannosaurus, but the Mm -hmm. car is about to fall on them and they get stuck in the tree and the car starts falling through the tree. At any rate, they get away. All very tense. A lot of Alan winning father of the Yeah, he's great. He takes them up into this tree. Another, this is not my analysis. I just read this. Whenever you're descending in the movie, it's into danger. Whenever you're ascending, it's into safety. So you're descending from the helicopter onto the island. You're descending into danger and you're going up into the tree for safety. Just little stuff like that is pretty cool. It's very insightful. 
I wish I had thought of it. You could have taken credit for it and nobody would have been the wiser, but... I know, I just couldn't. This podcast has a conscience. I'd like to think so, yeah. I think we can almost pretty much not even care about what's going on with Dr. Grant and the kids. Yeah, they just, they fall asleep in a tree. They're all cuddling on again on this man that they've known for less than a day. Lots of cute stuff, but kind of strange stuff. Right, when you think about it. Like, if the, again, if those were my kids, I'd be like, okay, I guess this was a lucky scenario, but like, don't nap on men you don't know in the future. <laughs> please. Yeah. But I mean, I guess he did save him. You're starting to kind of warm up to Dr. Grant as he's warming up to the kids. Because again, that's all this movie is about is him coming to terms with fatherhood. It was very much like Mrs. Doubtfire. It's very similar. (laughs) Speaking of white dudes being weird, we cut back to the little cafeteria. And while old billionaire's grandkids are just out in the wild getting hunted by dinosaurs, he is hanging out just eating melted ice cream like a psychopath. Mentions the flea circus. We're learning some stuff about his backstory and like, I did not know what a flea circus was. Basically the complete opposite of what he's done, which is like, it's a fake attraction, right? It's like attraction of things that are not there, not real. And he wanted this to be real. He's like Winston on New Girl with pranks. Like he either goes too far or is like way too little. They call him Frank Sinatra. He's the Frank Sinatra of amusement parks. He needs to just find a happy medium. Essentially, we decide in the control room, all two employees that are left and Laura Dern, that we're going to shut down the whole park. going to shut down everything and reboot it because, again, one person knows the password. Right. And we get that incredibly annoying, incredibly iconic. They're trying to get into his computer. It's like, uh, uh, uh. What a very professional operation that we have like a little (laughs) hacker cartoon pop up. So, you know, they're shutting it down and then they realize they can't just turn it back up. They're going to have to go into the the circuit board kind of thing. Laura Dern goes with Animal Tamer. And here's another great line when white billionaire is like, wait, you're going to go? Like, I should be the one to go. Not really insinuating, basically telling her she shouldn't be the one to go because she's a woman. And she literally is like, we can discuss sexism in survival situations when I get back. <laughs> yes. Also like this fat old idiot with a cane. Right. You need a cane to walk. Laura is a badass. Laura Dern is in her prime. And like she's yeah. smarter than you. Yeah, he's like, okay, that's that's totally fine. They go down to the the hatch, whatever we want to call it. She starts flipping those switches. This is such a tense moment and it crept up on me because I didn't realize what was happening is as she's turning the electricity back on, Alan and the kids are scaling an electric fence slowly. Right, really <laughs> slowly. And so they, there's an alarm that starts going off and they're like, hey, get off that fence. And somehow he's paralyzed with fear and he can't keep crawling down. I don't know why. <laughs> like, when Wouldn't you be more scared of getting electrocuted? Right. So then he's like, all right, I'll jump in three, two, one, like three, two, and then power goes on. He gets shot backwards and almost dies. This is a major plot hole to me. There's an electric fence that could stop a Tyrannosaurus Rex, but it can't kill a seven-year-old? Blast this kid out of his panties. I think his heart stops for a second. And then, of course, he does that thing after every near-death experience where he like finishes his sentence. Like on the fence, he was like, one, two. And then he he wakes up and is like, three. Yeah, (laughs) it's great. Meanwhile, Laura Dern is about to have not such a great time because there are velociraptors in the hatch and they start chasing her. She finds an arm. She finds an arm of the- Isn't that Samuel L. Jackson's arm? Oh, wait. Isn't that Samuel Jackson's arm? Yeah. How does that I don't know. When when did that happen? That confused me. All of a sudden, I guess at some point he says he's going to go check on stuff. Why would they then send her if he was already there? Also, like as if he's putting his arm around her. Yes. (laughs) Which is like- such a great scene because- You you just see the arm. Where did it come from? And then she takes it and then she like turns. <laughs> it's not attached it's, to a body. It's not attached to a body. <laughs> so we come to find there's just oodles of raptors in the control room, which she then has to run away from. Raptors are now everywhere. Yeah, they're all over the place. She somehow gets out of this hatch. Well, the kids find a buffet of desserts. They're just eating Delicious dessert upon dessert, desserts, fattening themselves up to be eaten by dinosaurs. <laughs> For the, lo- the <laughs> right. raptors, yeah. And there's this phenomenal scene where they're eating and they're like eating this jello and they're smiling at one another. And the girl 
is just shaking and the jello yes. is shaking and she can see the shadow of the velociraptor. You know, first we have the water cup in the car. So something needs to be, sh- we need to have some kind of visual cue every time a dinosaur is approaching. Yeah. The next time it's right. water in a puddle of a dinosaur footprint. And they're like, all right, we've played out water. What else is kind of jiggly? And they're like, I know. Dessert yes. platter. Jello. It is just like water, but it's just a little different. Super fun to watch. Way easier to make <laughs> jiggle. Yeah, because she's jiggling the shit out of that jello. I wonder how many it takes. A little less jello shaking. All right, a little more. <laughs> Give us a little more. All right, now, or now jello shake like to a beat. <laughs> Yeah, she's her improv jello shaking is really on point. Right. This is why this girl like rarely acted again. <laughs> she's traumatized. She's on set for 10 hours like, like you made it. <laughs> My arm hurts. Well, now your back's going to hurt because you just pulled landscaping duty. <laughs> Well done. (laughs) So now we get one of the best scenes in the movie, which is they retreat to the kitchen, which is just, it's iconic. It's just a bunch of boxes of reflective surfaces. They take the, his little claw or her little claw opens the door, come in and we get this like super tense. Oh yeah. It's like a fun house horror scene. It's kind of claustrophobic. There's just nowhere to go. And these things are not stupid. They're smart. They're super smart. Well, they're all women. So they're fucking smart. Right. So Lex is going to be fine. (laughs) Is she? No. Well, I mean, I will say shortly after this, Lex redeems herself for the first time in the whole movie because it turns out like even though she's a dum-dum everywhere else, she happens to be a genius hacker at 12 years old. So, and that's why, so is this the thing with, is this the assumption we're making about people who are really good with computers is that they like lack skills everywhere else in life. Do you think we knew that yet? Or do you think we only had like an inkling? Oh, so you're stating this as a fact. (laughs) Because now we know it for sure. (laughs) Right. Like, which I mean, to me, in my mind, I'd just be like, oh, maybe lacking in social skills potentially, which even that is like a broad and horrific generalization. Like anyone who's good on, because at this point, like we're all good on computers, but like anyone who's really good at computers is like has no social skills or no life or like doesn't understand nature or anything in the natural world. Right. I'm thinking maybe even a little bit differently. It might just be, hey, you know a lot about computers. Clearly, stuff's not going right. <laughs> but there's going to be some time right. when you're going to be able to shine and you're, you're going to be able, able to, to save, save the, the day. day. So that's when it was like, look, you're shit at sports. We should probably get you into some kind of computer club because you're not going to outrun anything. You could hack your way into saving the day. God damn it. She does. That computer program just looks like absolute garbage. Absolute dog shit. So they're they're running into a room. They can't lock the door. Without a computer. Without a computer. Sam Neill and Laura Dern are somehow holding these raptors from getting into the door. And Lex is trying to hack into the computer to bring back the power so they could shut off the access to this room. It's literally like she had to play a level of Oregon Trail to lock the doors in this place. It is the crustiest computer programming I've ever seen. Yeah. And then somehow she turns it back on and they lock the doors. This whole movie is just like a never ending stream of, ah, we did it. And then (laughs) so they immediately like we go to all this trouble to get the door locked. And then in 0.4 seconds, it's like they're breaking through the glass. So like none of that even mattered. So now we have to crawl up into this ceiling. Yeah, Lex fucking fucks it again. We just wasted all this time trying to lock the doors. (laughs) Meanwhile, they're just breaking in through the glass. Also, again, we're in a park full of dinosaurs. You couldn't have gotten any sort of like bulletproof glass, like any sort of intense. This is also the control room for a whole island full of dinosaurs. This is like the fire fest of amusement parks. Or just any music festival. A lot of people are going to die and it's going to be expensive. But it'll be entertaining. Right. But it'll make a good documentary. <laughs> I'll watch it. Uh, so now we have to climb up into the goddamn ceiling. We're now hanging from the ceiling on dinosaur bones, like a sad mobile over a baby's crib. Right. They're back into like the entrance hall. At first, it was very enchanting. Now it is just. Well, we're cornered by raptors now. Now we've got some raptors. <laughs> that we yeah, have to we're cornered with. by raptors. And this is the interesting part for me is that they're being hunted this entire movie by a T-Rex who then saves them. So apparently that wasn't the ending that was supposed to happen, but they wanted the T-Rex to be like heroic. But I don't even know if they were really hunted by the T-Rex as much as it was just kind of in their way. That's a nice way of putting it. But I mean, the T-Rex, I wouldn't say was just like, oop. 
excuse me. It looked <laughs> like it was trying to fuck them up for a good part of this movie. It wasn't happy with them, but it has bigger fish to fry, so to speak, I think. Sure. Goats and other things. <laughs> other goats to fry. Yeah. This T-Rex bursts in and takes on all of the raptors and gives everybody time to escape. John Hammond pulls up in this car and they've got time, apparently, for one more like catchphrase. He's like, you know, John, uh, upon further inspection, I do not sign off on your park. He's like, me neither. It's like, just get out of there. Any second, raptors are going to come running back out of the lobby. <laughs> I mean, it would yeah. what a great ending if they were like... You know, John, what I always say, <laughs> and then just they all get destroyed. Yeah, and then we would be saved from all those sequels that seem to go on forever. So the one thing that I never got from my first few watches of this is why they feel comfortable. So they get in a helicopter and they leave, and there's just like really beautiful scene where you know there's these like cool looking birds that are flying along with the helicopter and the sun is setting pelicans pelicans yeah i guess that's what those <laughs> birds are called you've known every dinosaur name up to this point and now pelicans really threw me for a loop well it's like a whole theme of like this whole time he's just keeps talking about how dinosaurs and birds are very much alike so now they're flying off in the helicopter off into the sunset and he's watching these birds good call oh you, you didn't make that connection no i didn't actually yeah it's very bittersweet i mean it's great because like dr grant has uh the two kids that are falling asleep on him it's like i guess these are your fucking kids now right i guess you're adopting these children then we see john hammond he's like i don't know man that kind of sucked but they fly off into the sunset cue the credits that was a bit of a weird ending for me like i didn't feel satisfied at the end yeah it is kind of weird i think they should have had like a jumanji-esque ending right well i mean like we know there's still an island full of dinosaurs running amok so that's what i was going to say this is what i didn't understand from except for my last watch and i think it was because i was reading about it they provide a chemical to these dinosaurs that they need a nutrient that they need to survive that they can't find anywhere else so that if something bad happens, they can't survive on their own. So John uh, Hammond is leaving the island thinking like, that's it. All these dinosaurs are just going to die. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> they do not. His face at the end just says like, this isn't over. He's not resolved in feeling like, Ooh, close one, you guys. What a wacky idea I had. Good thing we got out <laughs> no, of there. No, his obsession is showing. It's a little it's bit. like yeah. kind of broody. Yeah, he's definitely not over it. But you know what? Jeff Goldblum survives. Samuel Jackson dies. I'm surprised we didn't get one last like, hold on to your butt. <laughs> like we didn't get any final parting words from Samuel L. Jackson. Because even like the Hunter Man, he has a little moment where he like comes face to face with the raptor and says something like, clever, clever girl. girl. <laughs> Before he gets Yeah, I him. love that line. And you'd think Samuel L. Jackson, king of taglines, would have had his moment. You know, he wouldn't have just died in a scene that doesn't exist. Maybe he was on the cutting room floor. Right. I mean- there's got to be a scene right in there. where he's just face to face with the raptor, like "Holy motherfucking dino dicks!" And then he just gets <laughs> torn apart. Like, and they were like, "God yeah, damn it, right. dude! You can't keep doing That's this. Right. Like, we're gonna have to. We're cut cutting the, the scene. scene now. We couldn't get one good catchphrase out of you. Now we have to make a fake arm. We have to make a fake arm." <laughs> Props. Can we get props in here? Sorry, guys. We are way over budget. We don't have time. So in summation, to raptor it up. Raptor it up. <laughs> now that we got to the end, there's only, I think, one fun fact that I didn't get to say, which is a really cool one. So Jeff Goldblum says the line, must go faster while being chased by the dinosaur. He's in the back. <laughs> And he's like, must go faster, must go faster. And in Independence Day, which came out in 97, the writer liked it so much that he made him say it again when they're escaping the mothership. No yeah. way. I, I never realized that those were two I different movies. I love that part. Yeah. It was a home run in both movies. So. so to give this movie a rating one through 10 overall and how it stood the test of time, I'm going to give this movie eight raptor claws way up. Okay. I think I'm going to give this movie nine piles of Triceratops shit. <laughs> out of ten piles. Nine or ten, I just feel like no matter what, it's bigger than the dinosaur it came out of. All right, so I guess we're done. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Movie Club. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and write us a glowing review. We are millennials. We kind of need the validation. For even more goodies, be sure to follow Millennial Movie Club on TikTok and Instagram. Later, Later days. days.